This is Daniel Fagell, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. We talk a good deal here about trends on the AI and Business Podcast. If you listen to our other show, which is called the AI and Financial Services Podcast, I highly recommend you subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud or any of your favorite podcast platforms. You've, you've heard us there talking about trends in banking and trends in insurance, spaces where we've done a lot of our AI opportunity landscape research and looking at the vendor ecosystem and what enterprises are spending on. So we like trends, but we like anything that's going to help us peer a bit into the future. And today we do a little bit of exactly that in the domain of AI hardware. We speak today with Marshall Choi, who is with Samba Nova. Marshall speaks with us about three key trends that Samba Nova is seeing as kind of the main movers and shakers of change in AI hardware. As existing platforms like GPUs and CPUs sort of bump up against their limits, what are the factors that are leading us more and more to something new? What are those underlying forces that are changing hardware and frankly, making it more adaptable to the new software needs, particularly in the, in the near term, related to machine learning, to doing more effective drug discovery or fraud detection, or whatever we're trying to do with ML or deep learning systems. So Marshall gives us a good background on exactly that. And I should note that Samba Nova will also be presenting at the upcoming AI Hardware Summit. The AI Hardware Summit is put on by Kasako Research and will be taking place from the 29th of September to the 7th of October. It's an entirely virtual event. Kasako Research worked with us last year to get us some great guests and to sponsor a few episodes for their in-person event. Obviously, given COVID, they've gone entirely virtual, and they've got a stacked uh, list of speakers and presenters. You can go download their agenda by simply Googling AI Hardware Summit. Pretty easy to find it. And you'll be able to see folks like Marshall and other experts who are going to be at the AI Hardware Summit. If you're interested in the future of computing, Computing. If you're in an industry where you're kind of rethinking the way that you're managing compute resources or what that might look like for the future of your firm, particularly if you're an enterprise company, then go ahead and Google AI Hardware Summit. Without further ado, this is Marshall Choi with Samba Nova here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Marshall, glad to have you back on with us today. Uh, you guys have made some great headway in the last year or so since I had you back on the program. And I know today we wanted to talk a little bit about trends you've seen in AI hardware. You guys obviously have finger on the pulse here. You've raised a lot of money. You've got some of the sharpest folks in the industry. When you look at what are the trends moving dollars and, and, and moving sort of the smartest technical people in this world of AI hardware, how do you like to identify those? What are the big ones for you? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Dan. Great to see you again. There's a number of trends that are going on in, in the space today, and um, we've kind of narrowed down on really the three most prevalent trends that we're seeing through our interactions with customers and out in the market, and really using our view of these trends to kind of inform our internal thinking and in, in our in our development processes. And so, first and foremost, you know, uh, you know, I think you know, no, nobody's probably better qualified to declare this. Uh, First trend is, is our co-founder and chief technologist, Kunle Lakoten, who was the, the father of multi-core processing. And um, his declaration has been that, uh, you know, multi-core processing is kind of reducing in, it, in its utility and coming to an end of life as a result of the slowdown of things like Moore's Law and Dennard scaling. And so if you look at a lot of people in this space, they're continuing to build uh, uh, systems and processors based on a, on a core-based approach. And... You know, as cores themselves become less and less effective and efficient, 
just putting more more cores together in a multi-core chip and then a multi-core system only yields you an even more inefficient system. And so what you need is something that's going to be more flexible, you know, more performant than the core approach. And so um, that's kind of, you know, what we've been pursuing on that end. Just for a second here, Marshall, because I'm, I'm aware that you guys spend a lot of time in the nitty gritty of AI hardware. A lot of our audience, they're going to be, you know, a head of compliance at a bank or a head of innovation at a, you know, an e-commerce firm. Yeah. They probably understand, you know, cores at a very conceptual level, like, oh, yeah, Intel has those, you know, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But even for me, you know, understanding a core and multi-core at a conceptual level, defining that and then I guess contrasting it with, with what could be, would you mind defining those terms just so the folks at home can kind of imagine this? Yeah, I mean, think of it this way, right? I mean, you know, in, in the past with, with uh, you know, transactional processing computing like core banking and taxation and, and stuff like that, people assembled systems with many cores that were, uh, you know, had fixed functions and, and usages for those specific software operators. Uh, with machine learning and AI, the whole software development and delivery model has changed and, and required a whole different type of uh, computational capability. And what that requires is the ability to have a much more flexible silicon infrastructure to run the applications to effectively provide the software what it wants and needs to do um, data flow um, execution and operation. So that's really kind of the core difference here um, it is really being driven by the software which is mandating the needs for different types of hardware infrastructure. Why do cores work with, let's say, software as it was? You know, let's just think of you know whatever kind of software we want to we want to imagine. Yeah. Why is a core suited for kind of traditional IT, traditional software? I know you made the good yeah. contrast with machine learning, but I'd be interested yep. in, in yeah. Yeah, I mean, traditional computing is is just very predictable and uh, and, and deterministic in nature. It's all about calculating to the nth degree of accuracy. For example, if you're trying to calculate someone's bank account statement, you want that to be, um, you know, to you know many many uh, uh, <laughs> fractions of a penny, points yeah. of precision yeah, yeah. as opposed to an estimation. And so, with a core approach and a traditional compute approach, you can effectively hard code in these functions and semantics of these you know well-known operators that are going to be used by the software. Got it. Okay. And what you're saying is that with machine learning, given the fact that we're looking at a probabilistic system, not a not a big fancy set of right. if-thens that's very deterministic, but a probabilistic system that's going to mold, change, evolve, depending on what kind of data, what features of data, what, what kind of different workloads we put through, that core Absolutely. approach of having things hard-coded is just not going to pan out. Absolutely. And if you look at, you know, a lot of people are building things like fixed function ASICs to run a specific type of, of neural network for machine learning. You know, that's, a, that's an interesting approach in that uh, you can be very specialized and optimized for that specific set of operators in that model that you're trying to run. But the speed at which AI and, and machine learning models are being developed is just, uh, you know, going in the blinding rate. And so you need to have that flexibility to um, not only run the common popular models of today, but to keep up with where R&D is headed in the future. If you look at building something like a CPU or a GPU or an ASIC, you're looking at an 18 to 24 month gestation period just to build the part. By then, research and development has gone way beyond what, what the, the model du jour is, and, and you'll, you'll be sitting on a part that's very well optimized for uh, what was uh, you know popular maybe 18 to 24 months ago. And so yeah. you need to have the flexibility to be able to adapt to the needs of the software as software development um, advances. 
Yeah, and obviously it's advancing rather swiftly. You know, since the last time we've talked, we've got some interesting developments in NLP just in the last couple months. Uh, you know, who, who knows what the new normals will be, what the, what the new sort of defaults for solving different kinds of problems are. Keeping up with that in hardware, major challenge. It's, there's another yeah. theme that you have, a second trend as we were talking kind of before the recording yeah. here, first one being sort of multi-core right. processing, having a lot of challenges, second one being around the convergence of training and inference. First, I, I want to, just for the folks listening, to just provide your business person's succinct definition of what training is versus what inference is, and then talk a little bit about yeah. how you're seeing those converging. Why? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a great, uh, it, it's a very interesting area to look at, right? I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, machine learning, typically you do, you know, this is very simple, but you know, you train your model um, using, you know, a large data set, and then you promote that model in production, and then you infer from that model. And so this is kind of the difference between, uh, you know, development and production environments. And the operations of training versus inference have traditionally been pretty cleanly bifurcated along hardware infrastructure lines in that people commonly do training on a GPU and then do inference on a CPU. And so, you know, there's challenges with that approach. One is you've got to buy twice the amount of hardware. You've got to have a more heterogeneous uh, infrastructure environment. Um, and that's not just relegated to hardware, but software itself. And then from a, a operations perspective, uh, you know, the open question is, well, if I do my training on the GPU and uh, then promote that model to do the inference and production and, and, and provide answers. Inevitably, as I move from the GPU to the CPU, uh, there'll be some software reporting aspect to that. Some changes need to be made to accommodate the change in underlying software and hardware infrastructure. And so the open question is, well, how then is that model that I'm running in production actually the same model that I trained and certified prior to the promotion of production? The answer is, in most cases, if any porting job was done, it's not. And so then the fidelity of the model and the fidelity of the results then comes into question. We've seen cases where just a single node change in the model to do that porting has resulted in accuracy losses up to 30%. So it really isn't the same model that you're running. And so we see that convergence being an important part, and that requires a single common platform. And by platform, I mean not just the hardware, but more importantly, a common software platform across both the training and inference um, activities. Just to try to, I'm going to put this in a visual nutshell again, just for the, the audience, and I'd like yeah. you to correct me if you could. So I, I like, you know, I, I think I'm picking up what you're putting down here, in part from our past conversations and, you know, the other folks in the hardware space we've spoken with, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of training, let's just say I'm a bank and I want to know which of my money transfers could be fraudulent or could be laundering of some sort. You know, I, yeah. I, I take all my historical information. I, you know, I use my GPUs, as you're saying, to you know, feed in all these features and, and test a whole bunch of different weights and take a look at what the results are and kind of gauge what we think the perceived accuracy of those are and say, all right, you know what? This set of features, this set of weights trained over, especially the last six months or, or last 12 months of of this kind of activity, we really feel like is going to be quite strong in terms of helping our analysts dive into the cases that are most likely to be laundering. So now we're going to go ahead and put this into production. So we go from that uh, training mode into inference where we kind of have those weights. We, they're kind of ossified, so to speak. We then go find a way to port that into a different software language and then make it run on CPUs, which maybe we'll use a little bit less energy. They can't really learn and evolve like the GPUs could, but, but they use a little bit less energy. And then 
they're the ones that are detecting the fraud uh, or, or the laundering. What you're saying is, of course, you know, the rewriting of that software, the using of two bits of hardware, and the potential loss of fidelity from the original GPU to, to the new language, all of those are problems. Am I, am I um, framing this correctly, Marshall? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and that's the challenge. And that's where we see, you know, the use case for a common platform of, of both software and hardware coming in being, being very important to that, solving all those issues that you outlined. Yeah. So the future world might be companies who can train and evolve their algorithms and then simply, you know, clone and cut out maybe the one that they that they believe is working well, sort of have that thing move right into working live with the customers, 100% fidelity right. in the business. And then in the background, still be evolving other versions of it and then slice out and move out whatever versions of those they believe are best to the new environment in a much more fluid yep. way rather than this big ossified port over process. Well, exactly, exactly. And it, it's just it's just very uh, linear in terms of process orientation as well as, as things sit on current infrastructures today. And so you could see where with a common platform, you can then blur those lines between what is actually training, what is inference. And you could do more specific fine tuning of your model in near real time or even real time, as opposed to having to go back and completely retrain the model and then promote it back through into production and then do an inference again. Think of it as continuous learning from models as opposed to this more step of train, infer, and then retrain, and then infer again. And so it just will streamline the operations and and make things more real-time than they are today. Maybe there's some business functions where we really kind of do want to do a bajillion fact checks before we move to something in production. But there are obviously examples where we might just want it to be a living, breathing system where the best version, you know, there's no downside, there's no legal risk or compliance issues with just letting the best living, breathing version of it be live and be taking action that, that, that that's best for the business. There's obviously cases where that isn't the case, but there would be cases when it is. And it sounds like for you, obviously that would imply having the same platform. Mm-hmm. The third, you and I are talking here about AI, but you know, before we started recording here, you talked about the third trend as really being about general purpose computing, which was interesting because you know I wasn't even almost expecting the interview to go in that direction, but you see this as kind of where things are taking us. Talk about what general purpose computing means and why this sort of evolution for the sake yeah. of ML maybe means something more. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's, uh, you know, ML is obviously, a, you know, a very hot topic and, and a, a high growth area in terms of, of software and hardware, um, albeit off of a small base today. Um, but, you know, you know, obviously over, over years, you know, with these compounding annual growth rates, you can quickly see how this market becomes, um, you know, a massive market worth, you know, tens of billions of dollars oh, yeah. a year from a vendor perspective. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, let's look at this from a, a, a workload and application perspective. If I look at, at any large organization, whether that be a large enterprise, a, a large service provider, so on and so forth, you know, that percentage of machine learning and deep learning applications is going to be on the smaller side, right? You know, there's there's few organizations who are doing, you know, 60, 70, 80% of their application workloads as machine learning and deep learning. And so that leaves a big opportunity to further enhance other types of computing. As I mentioned, you know, we're seeing this multi-core approach kind of fading out in terms of its long-term utility. Um, the other thing is, is, you know, machine learning 
whether it be the training or the inference piece, is still just one part of the overall data science pipeline. And so, you know, there's a lot of pre-processing using things like SQL, for example, that, that lend into this. There's also a lot of areas where we're seeing machine learning and deep learning being merged with other disciplines of computing, like high performance computing, for example, in the scientific disciplines. And so you could see where, you know, AI and, and machine learning are um, certainly a, a hot area of interest and in research, but not, uh, you know, fully encompassing of all the workloads. And so we see a much more general purpose application of next generation compute. Uh, being needed to span beyond just machine learning, you have the opportunity to uh, accelerate applications beyond just the machine learning piece. Yeah. So let me try to frame this through, you know, a, a guy who doesn't spend all his time in hardware yeah. pair of goggles. I'm imagining that, you know, machine learning is really popular today. You know, there's things like deep learning. There's going to be other approaches yeah. to AI that come about that are maybe less focused on how many layers, how much data, how many features. So there's going to be that coming about. There's going to be just new, you know, kinds of software with different kinds of demands. And what you're getting at is that there may just be a new way that the compute we invest in as big companies, uh, or, or maybe even eventually what will be on my, my laptop, just needs yep. to be. Because it, it's got to it's be able to adapt to these different ways that computing is working. And that might just mean computing itself has to kind of fundamentally shift forward. Is this what you're talking about? It is. And, and, you know, we think, uh, you know, it's not so much, uh, you know, just all black and white here. I think there always has been and there always will be a heterogeneous nature to compute requirements. The nature of, of software applications is certainly uh, pointing us in that direction. Uh, you know, there will continue to be a broad range of different application types that are both deterministic and probabilistic, which um, you know, comes down to, you know, the difference between transactional processing and, and things like AI and machine learning workloads. And then, of course, you also have things like high-performance technical computing workloads that come into play as well, all which have different requirements from a computational perspective. And therefore, just a, a single one-trick pony type of infrastructure um, may not be able to serve all those needs of all the different application types out there. And so that's kind of where we see, again, uh, a more broad uh, general purpose applicability for this next generation of compute beyond machine learning. Well, you guys have raised a lot of money thus far. I think to hit that goal, we'd need another couple real healthy rounds. But uh, <laughs> but it's certainly, it's certainly something worth striving for and maybe opens up the minds of our listeners to the fact that you know, the evolution of hardware is adapting to ML, but really is going to be adapting potentially a, a new world of compute requirements altogether that's going to just turn into something very, very different than what we've been used to the last you know, 10 or 20 years. So something to chew on for, for the listeners out there. Marshall, I know that's all we have for time on this interview, but thanks so much for joining us again. All right. Thanks, Dan. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. If you've enjoyed what you're hearing here, be sure to follow us on social. We've had a lot more followers on Twitter since I started mentioning this in the podcast. I appreciate that for all of you who followed us from the podcast itself. Pretty easy to find at E-M-E-R-J on Twitter. We're posting multiple times a day there, as well as Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on LinkedIn or Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on Facebook. 
There you'll find us posting not only all of our latest interviews like this one, but also all of our latest articles, infographics, and new reports. If you want to stay ahead of the curve in machine learning and its use cases and trends in business, be sure to follow Emerge on social. That's all for this episode. I look forward to catching you in the next episode here on the AI in Business podcast. 